Dear Father, we come tonight, we're thankful for this day, a new day. We're thankful for uh, the fellowship of our church. We're thankful for the meal we have. We're thankful now uh, for our Bible study, this time that we can uh, spend in the study of your word. I pray for all of our classes that are meeting tonight. I pray for the kids. I pray for the youth, uh, for the other adult classes as well. And I pray that, that it is your truth that is taught, your truth uh, that is stacked upon the foundation. And I pray that we are built up, that we are equipped, that we're encouraged, that we're prepared uh, to live as your church. Lord, I pray again, thank you for this opportunity. I pray that we would make much of it for your name's sake, for your glory. And I pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're on lesson 35. Uh, if you remember last week, I'll give you a quick review. We, we turned a corner and we came back from the Christmas break and we started looking at uh, the prophets. And so we looked at last week a, a big uh, lesson, a, a broad lesson in scope about a, a topic that impacts uh, our understanding of who God is, of who Christ is, uh, of the word of God that we hold and look to. And so we started last week talking about the office of prophet. Uh, quick review, a prophet is called and commissioned by God to speak his message. And so a prophet is called by God. There's really not a, a set job description. There were some that were men, some that were women, some even that were kids. They were rich people, poor people, all levels of education. The, the unifying thing is they are called and they are commissioned by God to speak his message. We saw last week that is done in careful obedience. Now they have to say exactly what God says. They can't add to what God has said. They can't leave out things that God has said. And so it is an exact um, speaking in obedience to the word of God. It matters that they're careful in that. We also saw uh, their authority to speak came from God. It wasn't because of their, their position. It wasn't because of their lineage. Uh, their authority to speak, hey, here they are speaking for God. Well, that authority comes from God. We also saw last week there were many prophets. Uh, there were many prophecies made by these prophets. Uh, most of them are not recorded for us. Most of them were specific uh, to a certain people, to a certain time, to a certain situation that was going on. And so those words were not recorded. And so what we have uh, is, is, is not most of the prophets, not most of their prophecies. However, what God did intend and does intend for us to have is written down. That becomes the Jewish, the Hebrew scriptures, and that becomes our scriptures, the, our Bible eventually as well. And so what God wants us to have, we have recorded, and it is his word. We saw last week, it is the word of God. It's not the word of the prophet. It's not the idea of the prophet. It's the word of God. Because it is the word of God, it would carry the same attributes as his speech. And so where he is trustworthy, his word is trustworthy. Where he is correct and doesn't speak falsehood or misinformation, his word is correct. It is dependable. It is timely. It is relevant. It is authoritative. It carries the authority of God. And so if his written word says do these things or don't do those things, well, it carries the authority of God saying that uh, to us. And then God's word is sufficient. Because he is the creator of all things, he is infinite in wisdom, holds our plan, his word is sufficient. So that means we don't need his word and something in addition to his word or something uh, to supplement his word. We have his word 
and his word is enough. His word is sufficient. And so that's the broad topic that we moved into last week, the office of prophet. This week, we're going to start a run of, of about five weeks that we're going to look at specific prophets. Now, there's, again, uh, several that we could look at. We've picked out some that we're going to look at. Uh, tonight, we start the first in our, in our five-week run. Uh, lesson 35, we're going to look at Elijah. Uh, the title is Up, Down, and All Around. As we go through the lesson, you'll see the meaning behind this name. Uh, Elijah sees great things. He sees crazy things. He sees wild things. We see he's high sometimes, and he's down sometimes. He has great faith sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't have such great faith, and so he is up, down, and all around. Our key verses, uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, chapter 18, chapter 19, you can read those. Uh, that's not a long section of verses to read. Uh, there's much more we could see even about Elijah uh, we picked this section out for our Bible study tonight. So our key verses tonight, uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, chapter 18, and chapter 19. Uh, you can read that. Uh, we're going to pull some select things out of those chapters. Our key point tonight is this. God is gracious and desires even the most ardent sinners to turn to him. Now I want you to think about this. The lesson is about a prophet, the lesson is about Elijah, and yet the, the focus is not about the events of the life of Elijah, it's actually the revelation of God. And so it's not about him, it's about what are we going to see through the account of Elijah about our God. Uh, the grand scheme of things, that's the name of our Bible study. Well, all of it is pointing to Christ, all of it is revealing the plan of God. So in our verses tonight, uh, we're going to see about Elijah. We're going to learn about him, but the focus is on God himself. What do we learn about God? God is gracious and desires even the most ardent sinners to turn to him. That's a great truth of, of our God. All right, let's work through this section by section. First section there on our worksheet tonight is an unimpressive start, an unimpressive start. Elijah is a man that we're going to see is used mightily of God. He has a great impact in carrying, calling Israel back to God, back to, to faithfulness to his word. Uh, and yet, it doesn't happen because he has a great lineage, because he has a great education, because he has a great past. It doesn't happen because of any of that. In fact, uh, we're not told really the beginnings of Elijah. When you get to chapter 7, 1 Kings chapter 17, he really just shows up. Now, here's the account. It's going along, and then all of a sudden, here's the prophet Elijah. We're not told who his family is. We're not told what his religious practice was, what his education was. Uh, his only description is he is a Tishbite from the region of Gilead. And so we're not sure of his training. We're not sure of, of, his, of his family lineage. We're not sure of his reputation. We're not sure of his preparation. What did God do to prepare him for this? All we know, he is a Tishbite from the region of Gilead. Now, what we do see, we do see something about him, however, and that is this. We know his name, Elijah, means Jehovah is my God. Now, I want you to think about that, and then I kind of want you to store that away so as we go to the lesson, we bring it back and we remember it. We don't know his, his lineage. We don't know his education. We don't know his 
preparation, but we do know his name means Jehovah is my God. Well, what do we see in, that, in just that section? I think we see something very important here, and that is the humanness of God's spokespeople. Um, he, he, he did great things. He saw great things. He also had great trouble. He showed great faith. He also showed sometimes a lack of faith. He was bold, crazily bold. Some other times he was also discouraged. Now, here's what I'm trying to point out in that, and that is this. He was a person. Up some days, down some days. Bold some days, not so bold some other days. You know what he was? He was a person. Sometimes I think we get these ideas, well, this guy was like that, and we hold him up here. He was a person. He was a human, and he had off days, and he had good days, and he had bad days. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because that's what God does. He works with people. Now, now think about this. God loves people. He loves people. Well, you know what people do? They mess up. They fail. They get into trouble. He loves people. God saves people. In the person of Jesus Christ, he saves people. And God uses people. Well, that's an encouraging thing. It should be an encouraging thing for us. You know what? He's not sitting there checking off all these things that you have to have. He uses people. And people that will walk in trust, in obedience, he uses. And so, you know what Elijah is? He's a person. You know what his start is? He doesn't show up. They don't say, well, he's all state and he's this and he's that and he graduated from that. He just shows up. A very unimpressive start. God works with people. All right, that's the first part. Second part is this. It says wicked days. When Elijah shows up in God's narrative, and that's what we have, what's going on here, God's people are found in a great time of wickedness uh, as a people. Wicked kings had served over Israel. The Bible says another and another. Uh, they had served, they had led in evilness, and the, they had led the people into sin. Uh, idolatry, false worship, uh, sexual sin was rampant. A lot of it was tied to the false worship and rebellion against God's word. God says this, well, we're not going to listen to that. We're not going to do that. We're going to do something else. The kings had led them into that. The kings had promoted that, and so that becomes the landscape of the people. They are in idolatry. They're in false worship. They don't care what the word of God has said. They're found in sin and especially sexual sin. King Ahab is king when Elijah shows up. Uh, he led the people into heights, new heights of rebellion uh, and sin. He ushered in and promoted worship of the pagan god Baal. I'm going to read one verse. I'm going to back up to to 1 Kings 16, verse 33. It says this. Ahab also made the Asherah. The preceding verses says he, he built an altar for Baal. Verse 33 says he also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Listen to that description. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Now, what, a, what a description that is. Um, he provoked God. He, he led people to be in such a rebellion against God that it says all the previous kings, this guy takes the cake and he, 
he causes God to be angered and to be provoked at him. All right, so it's a time of wickedness. Here comes Elijah. He has no impressive start. He shows up, and it's a great time of wickedness. All right, let's continue in the story. God's care, God's care. I'm going to read 1 Kings chapter 17, and I'm going to read a pretty good chunk of Scripture. I'm going to read the first 16 verses. Now it says this. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was one of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall never be, neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. So he shows up and he says, it's not going to rain. The word of the Lord came to him saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself at the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Elisha the Tishbite shows up. He says, it's not going to rain. And then he leaves. God directs him where to go. It shall be that you shall drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and lived by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from that brook. It happened after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So he delivers the message. God directs him where to go. He goes there's no rain, there's a famine in the land, he would starve to death except for God's careful care. You know what? The ravens bring him breakfast and the ravens bring him supper. He drinks from the brook. After some time, the brook dries up. All right, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zerarepath, which belongs to Sidon, and say to stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. She, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And he came to the gate of the city. And behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives... I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son so that we may eat it and die. He comes to the gate. There's this widow lady out there. He says, I would like something to drink. Then he says, while you're here, I would like something to eat, some bread. And she says, we don't have any bread. We have some flour, a little bit. We have a little bit of oil. I'm collecting these sticks. I'm going to cook this bread, and we're going to eat it and die. They're literally starving to death. This is all we have left. We're going to eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterwards, you may make one for yourself and for your son. Now, I read that 13th verse, and I think, well, that's what God said. She should listen. How absurd. She goes to the city gate. There's a guy she's never seen. She doesn't know who he is, doesn't know if she can trust him. There is a drought, and they are starving to death. And he says, give me your bread. Well, I don't know if I'm going to give you the bread. That doesn't make any sense. Well, if you give me my bread, then you can have yours next. She knows how much is in the jar. There's not enough in there for anybody to have anything next. 
Verse 14, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day of the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her husband ate for many, she, she and her household ate for many days. Look at that. And she and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour were not exhausted, nor the jar of oil became empty, become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoke through Elijah. All right, now I want you to see this. Elijah is faithful. He says, go deliver the message. He does. God provides ravens that bring food when that runs out. He sends this widow lady and provides for all of them. Be sure and understand, this is crazy. This is radical. That's not normal. Uh, a jar that doesn't go empty, that's not normal. Ravens that bring you your food, that's not normal. Uh, that is a supernatural thing. Here's the, here's the truth, and I think the significance that we need to get out of this verse. When Elijah walked in obedience, God provided for him. God took care of him. Here's what we take out of that. God cares for those that are walking in obedience. And so when he says, here's what I have for you to do, and you take it up in obedience, in crazy ways, God provides uh, for them. I, I don't think that's hard for us to carry into our day, as, this day as well. In the New Testament, therefore my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And so if we submit to his will, we walk in obedience, God is careful to care for, to provide for those that are on his mission. That ought to give us boldness. That ought to give us confidence. If we'll be on his mission, if we'll walk in obedience, he's careful to provide for those walking in obedience. All right, the next section is a very, I think, relevant thing today, a very timely thing for us to look at today. It's called truth called trouble. Truth called trouble. When Elijah spoke God's message, it was for the people's good. Now, I want you to, to be sure of this. Whenever God speaks, that's my elbow, I think. <laughs> Whenever God speaks, it is always for our good. He, he's not trying to crush us. He doesn't have some slippery plan that he's going to pull the carpet out from under us. When he speaks, it's that we will be led to repentance, that we will be uh, equipped in his word, that we would turn back to his word. And so his word uh, is always for good. And so when he speaks here, he tells them what's going to happen. It is for their good. When, when Elijah spoke God's message, it was for the people's good. Yet this act of grace, God doesn't have to send him. God doesn't have to speak. God doesn't have to warn anybody. But he does. And so when he does, this act of grace, and that's what it is, is called troubling the people. Troubling the people. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to you, is this you, you troubler of Israel? He sees him coming up. He's going to bring a message. Is this you, you troubler of Israel? Now, I want you to think about that today, and this is, this is very practical today. Here's the deal. The truth is hated. 
The truth is hated today. I think about some of the nonsense. Uh, we have politicians. We have medical experts making decisions on the, on the belief that there's more than two genders. Male and female, God created is what the Bible said. We have people making laws on an assumption there's more than two genders. There's medical people making, making proclamations on an assumption that there's more than two genders. Well, you show up and say there's two genders. That's hated. That's politically incorrect. That's intolerant. Go, go down the line, the definition of marriage, uh, how we should live as followers of Jesus Christ. God has spoken. Truth is hated. Conviction is avoided, which means conviction is a good thing. God says that's not going to work. A better way to live is this. This doesn't line up. Conviction's a good thing. Well, today, conviction's avoided. We don't want to upset anybody. We don't want to offend anybody. Conviction is avoided. Sin is overlooked. We act like we can't see it. Evilness is promoted. We actually promote, our culture promotes evilness, and perversion is accepted. And that is the day we're living in. And to say anything different, it is unloving, it's intolerant, it's hateful. Folks will say, you're, you're just a judgmental hate monger, and you, you're so narrow-minded. It's the same way for Elijah. He shows up, and instead of Ahab saying, good, you have a word from God. Good, you have the correction of God. Hey, thank you for bringing a warning from God. He says, oh, there's Elijah, the troubler, the troublemaker of Israel. It is the same thing today. Truth is called trouble. Next section, and this is just as, as relevant for us today as well. Not deciding is deciding. Not deciding is deciding. In, in an earlier description, we, we go through the kings and then we go through the list of prophets. In an earlier description of both the kings of Judah, uh, the southern kingdom, and Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, when it talks about the kings that were evil, it says this. Their hearts were not wholly devoted to the Lord. That's not a good thing. That's a sin. We would say, well, they're partially committed to the Lord. That's good. This is called a sin. They're an evil king because their hearts are not wholly, totally given to the Lord. Here's what they were trying to do. I'm the king of God's people. We want the blessing of God, but we're not going to live according to the word of God. They're, they're trying to have it both ways. They're not wholly committed, submitted to the Lord. Well, that brings out a, a great truth for us today as well. There is no partial devotion to God. Hear that again. There is no partial devotion to God. You're either devoted to God or you're not devoted to God. You can't be a little bit devoted to God. That's what we see here. 1 Kings 18, 21. Elijah came near, there's the old troubler. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Now I want you to listen to that verse again. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you Hesitate between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people 
were quiet. The people did not answer him a word. The word for hesitate, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? In the original language, in the Hebrew language, that word for hesitate, now see this picture, it means to limp between or to falter between. What it, what it is is this picture of not going over there very quickly and not going over there very quickly, but limping along, stalling. It, it literally is to stall, to falter. It means stalling or not deciding. It literally is this, trying to put off having a firm conviction while you try to have it both ways. And so if I were to say, is this room on fire, then get out of it. If it's not on fire, stay in it. And you just kind of meandered around in circles. Well, I, well, you're staying. I don't know. Well, you're kind of going that way. I don't know. It is, it is limping along. It is stalling. It is faltering, trying to have it both ways. Now, here's what we think. I want to commit to God, but not fully right now. I want to walk according to his word, but I don't want to practice it in my life. And so I'm going to get in this stage halfway in between and I'm going to limp along. I'm going to falter there. It's us trying to have it both ways. Let me tell you the downfall of our, of our Christian witness today is, is, the, is the fact that there are believers that are trying to have it both ways. I can live like the world. I can come to church on Sunday. I can live like the world. I can go to heaven when I die. And we're trying to split the middle. There's no such thing as being partially devoted to God. Now I want you to think back all the way back that's a very similar call to Joshua. Remember what he said, the last thing he says? Gather everybody up. Who are you going to worship? Choose for yourself this day, either the gods of the land that we're going into, the gods of the land that we're in, or the gods of the past that your fathers worship. Choose for yourself this day whom you'll serve. Remember he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There is no partial commitment to God. There's no limping between the two hoping you can wait to decide. Not deciding is deciding, and it's deciding against God. Not deciding is deciding, and it's deciding against God. Let me ask you some questions, and you don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to think about these. Do we try to do the same thing today? And I, and I could give you a thousand examples. Isn't that what we try to do today? You can commit to God or you can not to commit to God. Well, I'm going to get somewhere in the middle. What does that look like today? What does that look like? And I, I, I can give you 100 examples. Well, we're going to watch a movie this weekend, and I'm going, to, I'm going to rank it by how many cuss words are in it. And there's only 13, so that's pretty good. That's how we watch movies this day. Well, I could go here, and they'll just have to understand, well, I'm, I'm, I don't really agree with them while I'm here and we take our name into some place Christ's name shouldn't be carried. We try to split the middle. Here's a better question. What would total allegiance to God look like? If you were to actually say, I'm going to commit to God, and I'm going to walk according to what God has said, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to walk with him, what would total allegiance to God look like? And I'll just tell you this. It would look like people that knew God's word and that sought to be quick in obedience to his, obedient to his word. So if God says that I'm going to do it, 
I don't need to take a poll. I don't need to see the situation. I don't need to weigh it out. If God says this is what a marriage is, this is how we operate in marriage. If God says this is how you handle your finances, this is how we're going to handle our finances. If God says this is what you do, how you operate in a church, this is how we're going to operate in the church. Allegiance to God would look like obedience. And it wouldn't look like slow obedience. It would look like quick obedience to God. All right, next section. The silliness of false gods. The silliness of false gods. I'm going to read chapter 18, verses 25 through 29. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire on it. Build you an altar there, grab you an ox, put it on it, put no fire under it, and then call to your God. Then they took the ox, which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. And it came about at noon that Elijah mocked him and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a God. For he is a God. Either he is occupied or gone aside or is on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out of them. I want you to see what happens here in this verse. Elijah says build an altar. Elijah says put the, put the ox on the altar. Elijah says summons your God, Baal, and have him burn it up, have him light it on fire. They do that, and they start to call on Baal. They start to pray to Baal, and nothing happens. And so they, they start to get loud. He says, get louder. And then he says, well, your God's a God. Maybe he's gone away somewhere. And it ends up, they're dancing. It, it, it says they're raving about, and they're actually cutting themselves trying to get the attention of Baal. They're gashing themselves. Maybe Gail, Gail Baal will see this. Maybe we can prompt him to act. I don't know why he hasn't burned this up. And they're, they're actually yelling and screaming and cutting themselves trying to get the attention of their false god. Here's the point of that. False gods are false. False gods are not real. They are the creation of people. It's kind of comical here. It's really not, but it kind of is to see the great lengths that people go to defend their false gods. When you read the Old Testament, when you read a lot of the Psalms, it'll talk about gods made with human hands. You go back to the Exodus account. You build a golden calf and then prop it up and worship it. Well, that's not a God. You, you built that. They build statues in the Psalms. We build a, a God out of stone, a God out of silver, and then you prop it up and worship it. You know you built that. You know that's not a God. It is silly. In here, they, they, here's a false God, and they're cutting themselves trying to get a false God to pay attention. Here's the point to this. There's only hope in the one true God. There's only hope in the one true God. And so any false God, and I, I don't care what you name it, don't care what you call it, don't care who built it, don't care who devised it, there's no hope there. There's only hope 
in the one true God. All right, the next section, and I think this is my favorite part of the lesson tonight. The, the next section is this. The great length of God's grace. The great length of God's grace. Now, I'm going to read a, a sentence, and I'm going to read some fill-in-the-blank possible responses. I think this is the most important part of this lesson. God wants to fill in the blank. What does God want to do? Why does God create us? What is God doing with people? God wants to make people pay for their sin. I, I built them to make them pay for their sin. That's what he wants to do. God wants to, next possible answer, crush people for their rebellion. Crush people for their rebellion. He wants to crush people. He, he wants to do it. That's why he built them. I want to I find people rebelling against me and I want to crush them. Here's another one. Show his power by judging people harshly. God wants to show his power by judging people harshly. Uh, we went through a study about a month or two ago on, on Reformed theology, Calvinism. They actually think God has to do this to show he's powerful. He has to punish sin, and that's how he's going to show he's powerful. So he built you, and he doesn't give you the opportunity to be saved, and he's going to crush you, and it's going to show how powerful he is. Is that what God does? I want to create you and crush you to show how powerful I am. Here's another potential answer. God wants to defend his righteousness by showcasing people's unrighteousness, which means he built you to sin so he can show how he doesn't sin. That's why he built people. That's his whole mission. He wants to show your sinfulness, to show your unrighteousness, to show how righteous he is. Those are possible answers. Here's the last one. Or what does God want? Here's what he wants. To have people see their sin, understand his love, and respond in repentance, allowing a relationship with him. Friends, that's what he's doing. That's what he's done. That is his plan. That is his mission. He doesn't create us so that he could stomp on us. He doesn't create us to make a point how good he is. He wants people to see their sin. He wants people to repent of their sin, to see his love, to turn to him, and have a relationship with him. That's what God wants. Well, let me, let me show you this in this account. God's call in this account was always to repent. When he sends the drought, you know what the drought was supposed to do? It was to choke them out and let them die. Nope. The drought was that they would repent. It's not raining. We're suffering. Repent. The goal of that was to repent. The great demonstration with the prophets of Baal, he, he makes this point. He makes this big demonstration. Well, the point there is to show how dumb they are. No. The point there is that they would see the true God, that they would turn to him, that they would repent. Chapter 18, verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The whole point of the thing wasn't to destroy, it wasn't to crush, it wasn't to show who he is. He is who he is. The whole point is that they would turn in repentance and be saved. Here, here's what I'm trying to say to that. 
What's revealed in this account is that God is kind, that he's gracious to sinners, that he, that he saves sinners. Uh, yes, he upholds justice. Yes, he judges sin. Yes, he doesn't bend on sin, but the whole thing shows that God is redemptive in nature. He goes to great lengths. This whole account is him going to great lengths to show us mercy and love and grace. All right, think about that for a second. If he wanted to crush the prophets of Baal, he didn't need this to do that. He could have just crushed them. If he wanted to crush a sinful nation, he didn't need this to do it. He could have crushed them. His mission is that they would repent and come back. His mission is always to show his, his love, his grace, his kindness, that they would repent and come back. Think about that for a second. That is who our God is. That is what our gospel is. You know what? We're sinners, but Christ doesn't come to crush us. He comes to seek and to save that which is lost to offer a way for sinners, a remedy for sinners, to show God's great love. That is our gospel. That's who God is. Now think about this. All the way back to this account with Elisha is showing God is kind and gracious and seeks to redeem, save his people. That is the point of the lesson, my favorite part. All right, the last of the lesson is something weird, but it's worth talking about. The last of the lesson, keep your head up. Keep your head up. Now, if you read that account or if you're familiar with that account, you know this. The prophets of Baal are defeated. The false prophets are stamped out. Uh, Elijah's offering is burned up and even the wood and even the water under the wood. Uh, it, it's all burned up. The, the prophets of Baal have been defeated. The people see the emptiness of false religion. It is a great day. It is a great victory. It says a great revival happens in the nation. The Lord is God. They turn back to God. A great revival takes place. It is a great time except for one thing. Elijah is missing it. And when you read the account, here's what happens. Great day, great victory. It's awesome. Uh, Queen Jezebel, wicked, vile, jealous. She hears about it and she says, we got to kill Elijah. Well, you know, they've always been trying to kill Elijah. They can't stand him. It's nothing different, but she says, we got to kill him. Put the word out. We're going to kill him. And, and she's been killing the prophets. And so he hears of it. And for some crazy thing, he forgets what he just saw. He forgets what he knows. He forgets what he has learned and seen. And he takes off. And he's, he, I'm, I'm going to get killed. I'm the only one left. This isn't ever going to work out. And he takes off. He runs to a distant land. When you find him in scripture, he is depressed, he is discouraged, he is distraught, he is defeated, he's under a tree. He just saw the greatest thing that's ever happened up to that point. He's seen the prophets of Baal dis displayed as false, and here he is under a tree, and he's actually saying, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I was dead. I wish I wasn't alive. I wish I never what he's, he's suicidal. Now, at that point, I start to go, what in the heck's wrong with that guy? What, how does he not remember what just happened? Except, here's a, here's, a, here's a big reality. Did you know, and some of you may know this, did you know a lot of times the bottom is not that far from the top? And you can be seeing great things, and the next day you can be discouraged. 
You can see God do great things the next day. You can be discouraged. And sometimes it's not as far as, as even a day. And you can say, I can't believe God did this, and he's awesome, and he's great. And the next day you can say, I wish I'd never been born. I don't know how we're ever going to get out of this. You know why that is? It goes back to the starting point, because we're people. People get discouraged. People become burdened. People, people have issues. Here's the, here's the answer for us tonight. You know what? This happens. It happens to people. We don't understand what God's doing. I don't understand God's timing. We don't like it this way. We get discouraged. Here's the answer. Elijah's answer was to remember his name. Remember I said remember that? Jehovah is his God. Elijah needed to remember Jehovah is his God. Because Jehovah is his God, he can have hope, he can have peace, and he can have joy. Now, let me tell you, here's, here's the practical ending to our lesson tonight. There are some ways that we can avoid the same result that Elijah had. We get discouraged. We get downtrodden. We can't understand. Let me tell you some ways that you can avoid that. Uh, and it's the same answer he had, but here's some practical ways that you can avoid that. First thing this, to avoid the downs, to avoid the discouragement, to avoid the, the crushing and the crashing of, of despair, here's what we do. First thing is this. We need to remember what God has done. You need to remember what God has done. I need to remember what God has done. Here's how we do that. The main way is we have to go to the God, God's Word. We have to spend time in God's Word. When I read God's Word, I see He's the creator. I see He's the provider. I see He's the sustainer. I see he's the one that defeats the enemies of God. I see all, I see he's the one that was in the fiery furnace. I see he's the one that, that, that's with David when he kills Goliath. We have to remember what God has done. When we do, we begin to take hope. So the first thing is this. We have to remember what God's done. How do we do that? We have to spend time in God's word. If you will spend time in God's word, reading what he has done, it'll help you avoid this pitfall. Second thing is this. We have to remember who God is. And I think this is the biggest one. Jehovah is his God. Well, we have to remember who God is. We start to forget who God is. You know who God is? He's the creator, the sustainer, the provider, all-seeing, all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Just keep going down the list. He's our Savior God, the God that saves. He's our Redeemer. We have to remember who God is. And as we remember who God is, what have I to fear? What have I to dread? Why am I upset? Why am I so off kilter? Jehovah is my God. He's infinite in wisdom. He's perfect in righteousness. He is good. He is great. We have to remember who God is. All right, here's how that happens. Time spent in God's word. Time spent in God's word. You have to read who God is to remember who he is. So you know what? We have to remember what he's done. That's time spent in God's word. We have to remember who he is. That's time spent in God's word. Third thing is this. We have to remember what God has promised. We have to remember what God has promised. Here's what he's promised. Never leave us. Never forsake us. He's coming again in glory and might. There's going to be at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he's going to bring those that have died with him, with him, in him, with him. We're going to be reunited with them in the air. We can just keep going down the list. These are the things that he's promised. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will have passed away. He, all these things he's promised. 
So we have to remember what he's promised. Do you know how you remember what he's promised? Time spent in God's word. We have to remember who he is. Time spent in God's word. We have to remember what he's done. Time spent in God's word. We have to remember what he's promised. Time spent in God's word. Isn't it interesting now we have the words of a prophet recorded in the written scripture. This is why we have the written word. To know God, to know who he is, to remember what he's done, to remember what he's promised. We go to the word of God. And then I added one other thing. You could take that. That's a pretty good lesson. You can go home and say, that's a pretty good lesson. But I added one other thing to that because we are people, and that is this. What are some ways that we can avoid the same result that Elijah saw? I think it is to surround ourselves with people that have the hope that we have. And I, I have come to believe this more than any, any time in my life. You need to be around people that know Christ, that know the hope of Christ, that know the word of Christ. And if you get around folks that are negative and are depressed and discouraged and they're, that's never going to work and God never did this and I don't like that, it will pull you down, and you need to be around people that say, God has never lied to us. His word is true. He's faithful. He's coming again. He's never left us. The people we surround ourselves with, we're listening to and speaking to and walking with, absolutely encourages us. He thought he was the only one. He finds out there's a bunch of prophets that have been hit out somewhere. What if he'd have had 10 people say, Woo, did you remember that? Did you see what happened to those prophets? Did you see the word of God has been upheld? Did you see the revival that's taking place? But instead, he leaves town by himself going, I think I'm about to get killed. I think Jezebel's coming for me. I think it absolutely matters. The people that we fellowship with, that we're with, that we listen to and walk with, those are important for us to avoid that result. Glad you're here this, this afternoon, this evening. I'm gonna lead us in word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Glad you're here. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for you. We praise you, Lord. We, we worship you. I'm thankful for your word that leads us, that grows us, and that calls us to know you more deeply. I pray that as we hear this tonight, that we wouldn't be just a, an hour that we pass through, but that we would hear and we would be encouraged to be in your word, to know your word, to study your word, to memorize your word, to live according to your word. And Lord, I pray that, that bears fruit. I pray for our kids tonight, learning that truth. For our youth tonight, oh, the world would shred them up. I pray they learn this truth tonight. And then Lord, I pray that the truth that we're better together encourages us tonight. I pray that we'd be people that uh, that speak of you and your, your faithfulness and your, de your dependability and your trustworthiness and, and your love and your grace. And I pray that we would encourage each other in that. I pray for those that are in this room listening, those in other classes, those that are uh, listening on the internet and other ways tonight as well. I pray that we have grown tonight, that you've been known and that you've been glorified. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.